I'd like to welcome everyone to Faith Reformed Baptist Church. We are continuing our study in the book of the, uh, of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, often called the Apocalypse. I would like to tell you up front that uh, the message today is going to be a little bit long. Okay, so just prepare yourselves. I have a lot to cover, so let's get into it. The doctrine I want you to take home today is this. God has a very detailed plan for his church. It's a plan in which we can all have an unwavering confidence in. We can have confidence in God's plan. Now, we've looked at the book of the Revelation all the way up to this point, and we've seen how God has put a seal upon his people and that no harm can come to them. And verses 1 and 2 of chapter 11 is very similar in putting a seal upon the church of God, or shall we say, issuing a proclamation that we should examine God's plan for the corporate dwelling place of God. God has put his seal upon the individual, but he also has a plan for the church. And they are protected and they are taken care of in the very same way that the individual is taken care of. But remember the life of Job. He was taken care of. But you see, his soul was in the hand of God. But God allowed Satan to come against him in a variety of ways. He lost his land. He lost his wealth. He lost his family. He lost everything except God. Amen. And that's what we are promised. And you may say, that doesn't sound like a good promise to me. It is a wonderful promise. It is a promise that enables us to live for his glory all the way to the end. So, in a very brief review, we're looking at seven visions that are told to us in the Apocalypse. We've already gone through the first vision concerning the church on the earth and how the Lord had sent this message to the seven churches. Vision number two, where we saw God on his throne and the Lord take the scroll with seven seals and how he had the authority to open that scroll. And now we're still involved in vision number three, where we are looking at those who dwell on the earth, enduring the seven trumpets. And we are still in trumpet number six. And we have been given an interlude to help us understand what's about to happen in the seventh trumpet. And so the interlude is kind of a pause. And it says, please consider what's going on while the trumpets are being blasted and while they're proclaiming everything that God wants us to know. And so this second pause, the second pause we're looking at has to do with measuring the temple and the ministry of the two witnesses. Now, you, you heard a lot about those two witnesses during the scripture reading, and you're probably wondering, I can't wait to get to that. That's not this week. We're only looking at verses 1 and 2 today concerning the measuring of the temple, and it's very important. We'll be looking at the book of Ezekiel. And you say, well, I wanted to hear Revelation. Well, I'm going to warn you with this. Do not open the book of Revelation and say, I want to figure out when the Lord's coming back. So let's go to the newspapers and see what's happening. It's not a puzzle to figure out when the Lord's coming back. And you'll not find the answers in the newspapers. When it comes to understanding the book of the Apocalypse, you must go to the Old Testament. You must go to the scriptures. 
And there's more to be said about these two verses in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, in the book of Ezekiel, than you'll ever imagined. And so, what I'm going to do is give you the very high-level, bird's-eye view of Ezekiel, and spend more time in the last couple chapters concerning the measuring of the temple of God. And I want you to, I want you to notice something right up front. In these two verses, John is given a, a rod to measure. But in the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is watching an angel do the measuring. A little bit of a difference there. One is, is Ezekiel learning about what the plan is, what the blueprints are. And then John has the measuring stick. And he is going out and measuring the temple of God. A big difference. And so let me read these verses to you again in verses in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. And then I, that's John, was given a measuring rod like a staff. And I was told, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out, for it is given over to the nations. And they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now I've read the commentaries on this, and I really do enjoy reading commentaries. And I actually believed in most of what they said. And now I'm going to tell you what I read about. But I'm going to tell you what they, what they told me first, right up front. So there's no, you don't have to wait till the end. Okay? Because this is not some kind of surprise. The idea of John measuring the temple is to give us an understanding that God is going to protect his temple. And he's going to protect the people that make up his temple. Because, you see, there's a huge overriding theme in the book of Revelation that God has a dwelling place. It started with the tabernacle, went to the temple, right to the Ark of the Covenant, where the mercy seat above the Ark. But in the New Testament, it says that the dwelling place is within the heart of the believer. And the dwelling place is where the believers come together at the church, and God inhabits the church. And so we can see that measuring and understanding how to measure the temple is going to be important because symbols and types of the Old Testament tells us the truth about the New Testament church. And it tells us the truth about the dwelling place of God. And that's where we should understand how God indwells us individually. But God also indwells His people when we worship Him. God indwells His people as we worship Him here. During the context of what we're about to read, you'll see some conflicts between good and evil, between truth and deceptions. But with all of this understanding that God protects his people, I, I, I had a, an uncomfortable feeling of why does measuring the temple tell me that God is going to protect his people? I didn't quite put that together. I didn't quite have the dots to connect where it says measuring means that God is going to protect his people. That is why I went to search and to go to the sources that the commentators went to. And most of the commentators were experts in Ezekiel, so that's where I went. And so let's take a look at the book of Ezekiel to help us understand exactly what measuring the temple is all about. First of all, <clears throat> Ezekiel is a book that has 47 chapters. We're going to go over every single one of them. No, we're not. <laughs> But we will have a very high level of understanding before we're done today. Ezekiel was a priest. That is, I'll put it this way. He was a priest that was going to be serving in the temple. But before he was able to serve in the temple, Babylon came and seized 
the great city of Jerusalem, took him captive and dragged him away with many people over to Babylon. And while he was in captivity for five years, he was in a concentration camp, so to speak, by a canal. And as he looked up, he had a vision. Now, most commentators believe that this happened on his 30th birthday just because of the way the text was worded. And I tend to agree with that. And why do I agree with that? Because he was to become a practicing priest on his 30th birthday. That's when he could go into the temple and be a priest serving God. And so here he is in captivity. Not in the temple. Cannot be there serving God. And yet he sees a vision of a great storm cloud coming to him. And as this vision approaches, he sees that there are four living creatures in this vision. And each of these creatures have four wings. Two, they covered themselves, and two, they had them stretched out. And so, four creatures with their wings stretched out, with their wings touching each other. You know what configuration that is? It's a square. And on these outstretched wings, in the shape of a square, was a platform. And on top of that platform was a throne. And on top of that throne, this is the way it's worded in the scriptures, was the appearance of a man. But it also had the appearance of the holiness of God. Now, I'm not too sure how to describe. It looked like the holiness of God. But I'll tell you like this. It was the same description that was given Mount Sinai when the people approached it, and it was thundering and lightning and very scary. And the people said, oh, please, Moses, you speak to us. Don't let God speak to us. And God said beforehand, don't let the people come up here because they'll break through the gaze on me and they'll die. There is a holiness of God that has a deep, heavy sense of glory that's holy. Yes. Glory that's holy. And this is what Ezekiel saw. He saw and sensed the importance of God's glory and his holiness on the throne. And you have, he had to ask himself, what in the world is going on with the holiness of God coming to Babylon? What's it doing there? Why isn't it in the temple in Jerusalem? And I'm sure it got into his mind. What's wrong with Jerusalem? What has happened to my beloved city? What has happened to my temple? That the holiness of God is no longer there. And yet it's coming here. And so it was a very traumatic thing for, for Ezekiel. And so... You need to remember that because we need to understand that when we get to the very end of the book. So remember, he was thinking in his mind, what is the holiness of God doing here and not there? When the man, or shall we say, one who had the appearance of a man, and a voice came from that place where the holiness was dwelling, and notice my words, God dwelling in the holiness, because he seeks a place to dwell, among those who are afraid of their sins and mourn for their sins and seek his presence. That's where he wants to dwell and that's where he will dwell. He told Ezekiel that he has things for him to say to the people in captivity. That he would be, and it's, this, is, this is where it's really strange. He's going to become kind of a, I don't, I, I'm, I'm slow to use the term, a street theater actor. Okay, But he was given sign acts to do. 
And God says to him, I want you to show that these people, that Jerusalem is going to be taken. So I want you to take a brick and write Jerusalem on it and a little map and lay it in the street. And I want you to put little things around it like they're attacking it. Kind of a little theater for them. And then I want you to lay down beside it. And I want you to lay down beside this little besieged city. And I want you to lay there for 390 days. And then I want you to turn over and lay down for 40 more days. So think about that a minute. The idea that God's people will be taken into exile. Israel, the ten tribes, and Judah, the southern tribes. And they were both represented by them being taken out while the city is besieged. These were just, that's just one example of the things that Ezekiel did. Another time, he went into the street and shaved all his hair off and his beard off, put it onto a scale and weighed it. And then he took a third of it, chopped it up, a third of it, burned it, a third of it, tossed it into the air. What do you think that means? A third of what is visible on the outside, tossed to the wind, chopped up, burned. I'm not here to talk about that. I'm here to talk about the idea that Ezekiel was given an insight into the condition of the people that used to be worshiping God in the temple there. The final example I'm going to give you is how God showed him in spirit. He took him to the mountain outside of the temple. And he was able to see in the vision a big idol set up in the temple, in the court of the temple. And he noticed that it was an evil idol. And so he dug his way through the wall into the inner courts. And what he saw in there were the priests secretly worshiping that, temp that idol out outside. And he was able to be given the insight. And he knew that they were thinking this. The Lord doesn't see us. And when he went out and saw on the courtyard a huge idol set up to Tammuz, all the women surrounded it, worshiping it. What a discouraging thing for Ezekiel to understand and to be given knowledge of. But he said, but the Lord of the voice said to him, this is what you tell the people in captivity. Your city is about to be taken. And so with that, at the, end of this, at the end of these events, God gave him the understanding that he would give his people a heart of flesh instead of a heart of stone. And in the final chapters, in chapters 33 and 34, God gives him an understanding that he would send another new David and at that time, he would then give his people new hearts. And that vision ended with the famous vision of Ezekiel, where he saw the valley of dry bones. And he said, all these bones are just like the condition of Israel. They are dead. But then the breath of God came through the valley. And then the flesh started to come on those bones. And they started to live again. And he said, my new David... It's going to bring my people up and give them life. There is a new birth happening. A new birth that gives dead sinners life. And the new David is going to be their king. 
and God is going to dwell among his people in hearts that had been born again. And so, after these events happen, Ezekiel is then given a vision of how God is going to destroy all his enemies. Have you ever heard of Gog and Magog? Everyone does. I mean, you, if you ever listen to the messages about the book of Revelation, people are looking for him to show up in Russia and this and that and the other. But I'll put it this way. Gog is described by Ezekiel as every type of enemy God's ever had. He sounds like Pharaoh. He sounds like Babylon. He sounds like all of the enemies of God. He's described as coming from all directions, and he's described as having peoples that hate God with a fervor. And so what we have here is a war between all the nations that hate God and how God is going to destroy them. Because Gog is defeated by God permanently. But the interesting thing about is that he is permanently defeated in three different ways. He is permanently defeated by God with an earthquake. But then again, he is permanently defeated by fire. And then once again, he is permanently defeated on the battlefield. And all the bodies are left unburied for months. And so we can see that this is God's war against evil and sin and all those that hate him from generation to generation. And we are in those generations because we are in the battle against principalities of darkness in high places. Mm -hmm. And so with that, we're at the part where I wanted to get to, okay? Now we're at the place where you know, Ezekiel is going to be given a vision of the temple that's coming. And this is after 25 years he's lived in exile. And the temple has already been destroyed and gone for 14 years. But Ezekiel sees a vision of an angel and he goes and says, let me show you everything about the new temple. It's much bigger than Solomon's temple, much larger. I want to read from Ezekiel chapter 40, verses 3 and 4. So listen to this carefully. Ezekiel 40, verses 3 and 4. When he brought me there, behold, there was a man whose appearance was like bronze with a linen cord and a measuring reed in his hand, and he was standing in the gateway. And the man said to me, listen to his words, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears, and set your heart upon all that I shall show you. For you were brought here in order that I might show it to you. Declare all that you see to the house of Israel. Now, for the next 90 verses, that's chapter 40, verse 5, to chapter 42, verse 20, for the next 90 verses, we see a detailed plan of the temple of God, his dwelling place. He tells us about the gate, about the outer court, the north gate, the south gate, the inner court, the chambers where the priests live, the vestibule of the temple, the inner temple, the temple's chambers, everything. The details are staggering. Everything was measured. The length, the height, the depth, the circumference of the pillars, everything, the distance between things. The perimeters, the distance around everything, the engravings on the doors and on pillars and on the columns, all the placements of the tribes of the children of Israel were given. And finally, after the tour, Ezekiel sees a vision of that glory of God that he saw before coming back and inhabiting that temple. Now, with that in mind, we're going to go read these verses and I want to tell you what I think they mean. Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. 
And then I was given a measuring staff and was told, Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those that worship there. But do not measure the court outside. Leave them out, for it is given over to the nations that they may trample the holy city for 42 months. So, he's told to measure three things. The temple, the altar, and the people. And you may be asking the question, well, tell me about that. Tell me, what in the world is this measuring rod? And what is the temple of God? And what is the altar? And who are they that worship there? We'll get to that. But I want to get to the next verse that says, do not measure the outside of the temple. Leave that out. It's just as important to know that God says, measure and understand, but do not do that. Do not measure this. It is just as important to understand that on the outside, God is not giving you this plan. He's not giving you these measurements and that they are not going to be under his protection. God wants us to know that he will protect those in his temple. Why? Because he has a plan about it. He has a very detailed understanding of it. I want you to remember this, because we are the dwelling place of God. We are the corporate number that openly, outwardly identify with God. When people say, where can I hear the gospel? They say, well, I know of a church. Where can people be seen that worship the Lord? They hear the Lord's gospel preached among his people. It's important to understand that like Job, protection is not going to guarantee you your health, the condition of your body, your wealth, anything that this world has to offer. It only means that no man can pluck you out of the hand of God. No man can pluck you out of the hand of Christ. And you have been given the instructions and the understanding that we will be his people in this dark and evil world. And we stand for God here. We are his temple, the dwelling place of where his holiness is. And so, what is the measuring rod? What has the New Testament taught us about how to measure things, how to evaluate things. What do we use? Is it not the Word of God? What is the standard by which we say to ourselves, what is pleasing to God? We look to the Scriptures, to the epistles. We look at what the Bible tells us about what is pleasing to God. That's how we measure. That's how we say, this is the standard. This is the rod. Ezekiel was shown that an angel could measure. These are the plans. And God has a detailed plan. But he has given that rod to John, to those to deliver the message of the churches to us. We have the word of God, and we are to use it and measure and to understand what we need to do in this life. What is the temple? The temple is where God dwells. It is where his glory dwells. It used to be the tabernacle. It used to be the temple. It used to be the mercy seat. But these are shadows and types. Shadows and types in the New Testament tells us, oh, if you only knew that you were the dwelling place, the temple of the Holy Spirit within your own heart. And you say, well, I thought God would leave a temple that's polluted with sin. Well, what do you think the cleansing of the temple is all about? What do you think God says that I've come and I'm going to have a sacrifice of my own self and for my people in the temple. His body was a temple. He took on our flesh. And he gave that temple. 
His temple was destroyed, but three days rose up again. And we are in him, and he is the foundation, and we are the stones that are built upon Christ for the inhabitation of God. And we, the kingdom of God is here, folks. It's just that we must say, it is within us, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, we may be ambassadors, and we may be in the world, but I'll tell you what, there's a day coming when the new Jerusalem is going to come down from heaven, and it's going to come down, and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And until that time, we know that there is a plan, a detailed plan that God has for every individual and for his church. What is the altar? Measure the temple. Measure the altar. We have the gospel that tells us about this, that enables us to stretch it out, to measure it, to understand it, to see the plans. The altar shows us that there is a place where Christ was sacrificed, the altar of sacrifice. There is a place of the work of intercession of Christ, the altar of incense, and that he gives his body, gives his blood, and provides the intercessory work we know this because the Word tells us this. Measure that altar. Understand its dimensions. Understand how to make it. Understand how to present it. And understand how to preach it. And who are they that worship there? Do you remember the words? Well, I'm going to tell you the words in a few minutes because I'm going to read them again. But those that are there are those that mourn over their sin and that rest in the work of Jesus Christ. They are called out assembly of believers. The plan and design is the measuring of God. Is the measuring of how we use the word of God to preach his gospel. The church will never lose its war with the sin and the death, with death and with the devil. But I'll tell you what, there are going to be times that we have great trials. There'll be times that we have great trials. Now I have one application to give you. One application. The Lord wants us to know that he has a plan to build a dwelling place for himself. That's my application. Now, we may not know everything about his plan because we know that there are many secret things. Remember Deuteronomy 29, 29? The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things that are written belong to us. And so there are things that we can know. You know what the things that we can know? The things that we need to know. Those are the things that we can know. God has provided sufficiency in the scriptures that we can know what we need to know about the plan of the dwelling place of God. We are going to be given insight and encouragement if we know that plan. Now let us consider some more scripture from Ezekiel from chapter 43 verses 10 and 11 and listen carefully. As for you, son of man, describe the house of Israel, the temple that they may be ashamed of their iniquities, and they shall measure the plan. You see, your job is to measure the plan. Your job is to learn and seek the gospel, and to mourn over your sin. And they shall be ashamed of what they have done. Make known to them the design of the temple, its arrangements, its exits, its entrances, that is, the whole design, and make known to them as well as its statutes and its whole design and all its laws and write it down in their sight that they may observe all of its laws and its statutes and carry them out. That's what the angel told Ezekiel. They may be ashamed of what they have done and that they may learn that God has a plan to build his dwelling place. Look at how people go in. Look at how people come out. All the places in it. 
we need to understand that about the gospel. We need to look at the whole design. Anyone serious about building anything need to have a plan. And the Lord, I'm telling you, has a tremendous plan. It is a very detailed blueprint. It has a materials list. You say, well, how detailed is it? Look, the plan is so full, it couldn't be contained. It's like, those, the, the, it's like the scroll of the seven seals. The materials list go down to the smallest subatomic particles. The Almighty has this plan. It is the schedule that will be determined down to the smallest division of a nanosecond. God is in control of all these things. And he has approval and authority. Now, has anyone here ever really built anything? Anyone ever built a house in Titusville going to the city council with all the permits and everything? Look, if you try to build anything, you'll know this. Building permits are hard to get. And if you want to take an envelope with a picture drawn on it saying, I'd like to build this house. They say, no, you should come back with a list of blueprints in detail and it has to be stamped with approved engineers. I want a materials list. I want to know all the kind of nails, big nails, little nails. How do you attach them together? How far apart are they? What kind of materials are they? I want to know the landscaping. I want to know what you're going to, how, how you're going to build a foundation, the plumbing, the electrical, everything about it. And you must have money and have it all guaranteed and ready to go or else you will not put one shovel into the ground to turn it over. You're not going to start that plan until I see the plans. That's what the government's going to tell you. I'm not going to argue with them about it. It makes for a safe plan. But I'm telling you, the Lord has that type of plan ready for his church. He has that type of plan ready for you. If someone came to me with a napkin, with a picture of a house on it, and he says, I'm going to build this, I would say something like, good luck. I'm all for it. Let me know how it goes. But if someone came to me with a stack like this, of detailed blueprints of everything, the elevations, the materials, how it's layered together, how the water runs off of it, everything about it. It gives me great confidence to think that he's going to accomplish it. And why do you think that God wants us to measure the temple? He wants you to have confidence in his plan. The Almighty is not going to be stifled. He is going to build his church. His church is going to be successful. And people will say, well, look what happened to them. These got murdered. These got persecuted. This, I'm telling you, he is accomplishing it. And we are part of that plan. You may say, there's only 50, 60 people here. There's only 20. Sometimes in prayer meeting, there's only eight. Mm -hmm. But I'm telling you, God has his plan and he'll have his way. Amen. And we are his people and we can have confidence in him. I'm telling you, the Lord has a plan. And so in conclusion... I want to say this. You need to have unwavering confidence in his plan. So let's briefly go back again to Ezekiel. And this is where my conclusion is going to come in. Because my conclusion comes from chapter 47 in Ezekiel. In this particular chapter, he refers to the holy city. He refers to the temple as being a city. But he never once calls it Jerusalem. Not one time. And there's a reason for that. Now, if you go to the Apocalypse, you go to the book of the Re Revelation of Jesus Christ in chapters 21 and 22, it actually says, I saw a city coming down from, a city coming down from heaven. The New Jerusalem. John identifies it. The New Jerusalem. Don't confuse that with that place over there. You need to understand that 
God's city is a place whose foundation and maker is God and Christ is the chief cornerstone and we are the bricks and the stones built upon Christ. But he, in Ezekiel, calls it the holy city. And from the holy city, from the temple that is in the holy city in Ezekiel's vision, below the threshold, below the ark, comes out a small stream coming out and flowing out. And it goes to the west, or to the east, and to the south. And at the beginning, Ezekiel says it's only ankle deep. But as it flows further, it gets up to its knees. And as it flows further, it gets up to its waist. And eventually up to his shoulders. And he sees trees on either side. And you know where the direction of this river is flowing? Toward the Dead Sea. It's flowing toward the Dead Sea. Where it's salty. And there's nothing fresh. But Ezekiel says, wherever the water grows, the water turns fresh. The water is sweet. And it has trees growing up on either side. Does it sound like Revelation chapter 20 and 21? It most certainly does. Because you see, these trees, and Ezekiel says, they produce fruit. That they blossom and produce fruit every month for the healing of God's people. And it goes down deep enough where they have to swim. Where they have to swim. And the river of life, and that's what John calls it, not what Ezekiel calls it, but it goes to a place. And you know where, where this chapter ends? The very last words of the book of Ezekiel says this, the name of the city that he's never mentioned before is this. It's called, the Lord is there. That's the name of the city. The Lord is there. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, when that, when that city comes down to us, we are the dwelling place of God. You individually and us as a church. Mm -hmm. The Lord is here. And we need to understand that. Mm -hmm. And we need to live our lives for the glory of God. Mm -hmm. We need to be brave and confident in our God. He's got a plan. Mm -hmm. It's a good plan. Mm -hmm. We need to commit ourselves to him in this. Mm -hmm. He wants us to understand his plan. He shows us what is happening. And next week, he wants us to understand that he has his people in your hand. But then when you read about what happens to the witnesses, don't be discouraged. We are those witnesses, I'm telling you. We don't have to worry about being killed in the streets. God has a plan. But that's for next week. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Holy Father, we want to thank you for taking care of us, for loving us, for having a plan that we will be the dwelling place of your spirit. So, Father, we ask, may the gospel be understood by those who need it. May you be lifted up and Christ be seen by the sinners who need to be saved. May your righteousness be imputed to them because they believe in you and your work. So, Father, save those that need to be saved. Encourage those that need to be encouraged. Uplift those that need to be uplifted. And, Father, please humble those that need to be humbled. Take the pride and the arrogant. Take those who live in their sin against you and crush them, Father, in their hearts. Crush them, Father. We ask, Lord, that your convicting spirit would convict of sin. Drive them to the beautiful arms of Christ. 
May these things be done for the glory of our Lord. We ask it in our Lord's name. Amen.